Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Hi, it's Talking Women here on SAFM. I'm Nancy Richards and the team today, Hazel Mikrozeni and Des Skippers. What we have on the show today, we're going to be taking a Dutch perspective on Cape Town as the well-designed capital 2014, talking to visiting specialist consultant Christine Duban here recently to do a recce of the city's potential. And talking as specialists, we'll also be hearing from two of quite a large female presence, in fact, in the stellar world of the Square Kilometre Array, SKA. We'll be talking to an electronic frequency technician and also to an infrastructure engineer. Plus, in the name of Mandela, the candidate in our series today is the Little Fighters Cancer Trust. So we'll find out what you can do to help what they are doing. What's news? Well, here's a warning for anyone, anyone using social media, I guess. Narajni Elijah, 35, started getting emails from unfaithfulpayback at gmail.com that she initially ignored thinking that they were just spam, but then she started to read them, and the grim ripper demanded she pay 3,000 rand to avoid a nude photograph of herself being posted on her Facebook profile. Well, the cost went on. I mean, the emails kept coming, and the cost increased to 6,000 rand, and two pics were attached that they were, as she said, clearly not of her, but they were of an Indian woman with her face covered. Well, she has refused to pay, and a director of Verkman's attorney says that the case falls directly under the Protection from Harassment Act. So I guess she is protected, but I think it's something for us all to be aware of, that I suppose once you're out there, uh, you are very vulnerable. Very vulnerable, in fact, because here's another tech story from China this time, where a Chinese woman was apparently electrocuted while making a call on her iPhone while it was charging. Apple have said that they will investigate the claims, Local police confirmed that she did indeed die by electrocution, but couldn't verify whether or not the iPhone had been involved. The woman's sister has warned others not to talk on their iPhones while charging. But a blog thread suggested that maybe someone, just someone in in that country, was trying to smear Apple. Well, Apple have conceded that there are things that they have to learn about operating in China, but I guess that there's a lot that we all have to learn. Maybe you know, I have absolutely no idea, is it or isn't it dangerous to talk on your iPhone while it's charging? If you uh, have any ideas on that, any thoughts on that, do let us know. Find us on our Facebook uh, page. Incidentally, that's otherwise on SAFM. You can pop us a mail. I will pop us a message there and let us know what you think. Do you or don't you uh, make yourself vulnerable to electrocution if you talk on your iPhone while it's charging? I have no idea. And just also while in China, a mother was... Who, a mother who had been sent to a re-education labour camp for 18 months after she demanded justice for her 11-year-old daughter had been raped, has won her appeal and been compensated. Yo, it's a dangerous world out there. Don't forget anything you'd like to share with us here on Otherwise Talking Women. Otherwise at safm.co.za or find us on Facebook. It's Otherwise on SAFM. And if you want to give us a call, 0892102010. Do it now. You're listening to Otherwise, so stay with us. This is Recently here in the Mother City, as you know, the designated World Design Capital for 2014 was a delegation from the Netherlands. They were here for the purposes of a recce for potential and for consultation. Christine de Barn, who recently completed a four-year project called Dutch Design, Fashion and Architecture, working in collaboration with other countries, was here. She was heading the delegation. And I spoke to her earlier and asked her how it happened that she was here. Uh, the Dutch Consulate General felt very strongly the Netherlands should be very actively involved in World Design Capital 2014. I came here for the design in Dama. Actually, I came on a holiday. Because of the program, I was 
all over the world except in South Africa every time there was design in Daba and I really had been hearing so much about it for such a long time. It's been an important platform for Dutch designers and an important channel for collaboration between the Netherlands and, uh, and South Africa. So I thought I'd come here on my holidays. That's what I did, and it turned out to be a sort of a working holiday because I kept meeting people like Elaine Riesberg, who had just been the appointed director of World Design Capital, designers and people working with designers and many other people who are really interesting. And I love this place. So when the Consul General said, well, would you help us with putting together a delegation, was our role was to do research into what way the Netherlands could be involved in, uh, in the world design capital. I said, sure, of course, I'd love to be able to mm. have a good reason to come back and to bring some people with me who I knew would have a very good reason to be here and could help in shaping some kind of a program. So it was put to you to find a delegation of people to come over to firstly research, but then in some way put together a program in which the Dutch government could be involved. Yes. So who did you bring? I brought, what have you seen? <laughs> I brought Reni Ramakers, who is not uh, uh, unknown in South Africa, but she's been here twice, I think, before. Also, so she knows and loves this place. I knew, and I knew she was also already getting ready to be involved in the World Design Capital. She'd entered a, a project for this first call, and uh, it had been accepted. And because I had also th- sort of three threads or themes that I thought we should research while we were here. Uh, she is, Renny is the founder director of Droog, uh, which is as much a sort of a, a research project as it is a viable business. They have, uh, over the period of 20, 25 years, created a vast array of products that all in one way or another say something about how you could look at design and its relation to the world and the user differently. That's Droog. Then I brought uh, Willem Feldhoven of uh, Mediamatic, and he started as a typographer, graphic designer. When new media, the internet came up, he became a hacker and so somebody who became very well versed into the design of, you might say, human behavior when they interact with, uh, with new media. And moved into all kinds of, because he's a sort of crazy scientist, you might say, moved in all, all kinds of different areas that have to do also with urban farming, which he's now working on, and um, many different issues. And he brought along uh, Akim Tam, Turkish-born and trained architect, who went to do her master's and PhD in the Netherlands and started focusing on the role of, again, social media and serious gaming in shaping the city and in bringing together different players uh, inside the city uh, with different agendas to see if they could sort of share agendas. And finally, uh, Peter Bannenberg, who is an architect. His company is called NL Architects. They have an experience that ranges from the smallest object to uh, large city buildings and beyond. Uh, They're one of a younger generation of Dutch architects, and he has been involved with some of the projects that we were doing in the Dutch Design Fashion Architecture Program that involved a collaboration between Dutch architecture companies and architecture companies, in this case in China and India, how you can together research and design on a, on a project. And that really would yield maybe new ideas and approaches. You mentioned that there were three themes. Yes. It sounds like you have a very uh, specialist uh, group of people with lots of expertise, but there were three themes that you yes. were looking at. Which were what? There are three themes. Thinking about beforehand where you might find an intersection of 
questions that are here and specific Dutch knowledge and expertise. They thought they might lie in three areas. One is the area of urban planning, urban design, uh, long-term integrated urban planning, city-making, if you want. The other is the field of how do you connect craft and making an informal uh, production, maybe, to contemporary design thinking and contemporary global markets. And uh, the third one is how would you use serious gaming, social media, etc., if you want to bring about maybe social change or change of ideas or mentality. How do you think? And in this case, uh, uh, very much how do you think about the future city? And, of course, there was, so that if you look at it as a matrix, there were two threads going through it, and there were two of the themes that World Design Capital had put. One was bridging the divide, and the other was, it has a different name, but it's like creating a sustainable future, something along that sense. And I think all of these, these subjects uh, or approaches, if you, if you want, are connected in such a way that they all deal, how can design play a part in you know, changing uh, the way we shape our world and changing the way we use uh, the skills of other different people, maybe changing the way uh, people uh, can do their business and, if possible, creating a slightly better Mm. future. Mm. Yeah. Interesting to get an outsider's perspective on it because those of us who live here in South Africa and specifically here in Cape Town see it from one through one prism. Coming from the outside, you would see all sorts of other things and see all sorts of potential that we may or may not be able mm. to see here. Equally, we would be able to see all the challenges and the issues. Mm. And I would imagine that you have perhaps also been looking to see who the players might be, what the areas are, what's perhaps already Absolutely. started, yeah. see what's being kindled to, to fresh it or to, to put it into action. What have you seen? I don't know how much you can tell okay. us at this stage. Because <laughs> well, I won't, I, I, I'm not going to name names because we're still, you know, in the process of shaping the program, so that would be complicated maybe. Mm. Uh, but we've been speaking as much to educational institutions and, uh, let's say, res- research labs and projects as we've been talking to entrepreneurs, project developers, uh, city planners, politicians, as much as been talking to uh, people working and living in the townships, from people who are doing NGO work there to people actually living there, earning their business. One woman we met who impressed us hugely, who took her own initiative to create uh, a soup kitchen uh, and created a huge vegetable patch to source that soup kitchen, all on her own. And now she's been, there's some uh, money, not the money, the food bank is going to help her. So she's been meeting a lot of, that's, this a women's program, I think. It We've is been meeting a lot of incredibly strong women. We were saying to each other that most of the people we met who are really seem to be very focused on what they're doing and on bringing about positive change are women in this town and they've been hugely impressive but it, then really from all the different yes. you know groups of the meeting all, yeah all walks of yeah. life uh, that was going to be my next question to what extent are women involved in this because it sounds I mean is it Rosie who has a soup kitchen Do you, uh, no it's not it her name no it's actually an, uh, uh, it's a very difficult difficult to pronounce her it's somewhere in Kailiche near Kailiche Stadium I have no doubt that we'll hear more about her at a later stage judging from what you said but I suppose one of the things that I was thinking was that as you say that you've met a lot of women who are already starting these things perhaps not on a commercial level perhaps they're just women who have decided that something needs to be done about XYZ 
and they are moving forward rather than having financially a viable project. Yes, I think they're mainly, uh, they're also in, in government and in, uh, and in uh, you know, all kinds of departments of the city. Um, what struck us is that they have, uh, that they're very sort of, they have the eye on the ball in the sense that they really want to bring about positive change. They're not concerned with a lot of, you know, infighting or nagging about it. They're just very focused on how can we improve matters where we are. I don't know if it's about being commercial or non-commercial. I think it's more about being also open to collaborate, uh, which is also important because one thing we noticed and we're surprised about, if you come from a country which sort of was almost compulsory to collaborate and to con- continuously consult everybody before you take one step, which is also can be very annoying sometimes. <laughs> However, this is uh, we're sort of uber democratic. We have to be for many reasons, but that we're surprised that every everything, I think you call it silos, that mm. people are so much only into their own project. We were sort of walking around saying, well, why are these people not talking to each other? Why are they not collaborating? Oh, how much that would change if uh, people would. Mm. And I thought that was interesting that it's, it's so divided and that you, wherever you come, people are all focused on their own little projects. And that's, it's not the commercial-non-commercial divide. It's more the openness and, and openness for collaboration and sort of focus on your own thing. And that's maybe the difference between the men and women yeah. we've been meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's not stereotype too much. Too. No, but still, it's, 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 it's actually how, what we've experienced. It's highlighting, experience. it's highlighting yeah. The, yeah. the reality of it. In terms of silo thinking, I suppose design, it's one of those words that is interpretable in whichever way you see it. One needs to be open-minded in terms of what design actually means. So at risk of stereotyping, once again, you mentioned the three of the three different Mm -hmm. areas that you were, or three different themes, one Mm -hmm. of them being crafts um, and physical things that are made with their hands, which once again, very often, but not exclusively, includes women. Is that, is that yeah. something that you see as being a, a very big component of the world design capital? Uh, I don't feel in place to say something about what should be a component of world design capital. I think it w- could be a large component of what we will be dealing with. Uh, we've been to many different w- townships. We went several times to Kailiche, but also to Mitchell's Plain and Gugulete and others, other places. And one of the things that struck us, if you compared, for example, to the larger slum areas in Indian cities that are really hives of production, there's production going on, men and women, it's one big factory, you might say, in a way, that there's so little production and manufacturing going on inside the townships that almost every home I went into did seem to have a sewing machine. So obviously... People are working from home. How? What would happen if you could increase uh, the possibilities for working at home? You don't have to travel. You don't have to come back late at night, be exposed to danger, etc. And you could start earning money from home. It's not a goal, of course, to change. But what if we could find skills? And we've been talking to people who have been mapping skills inside the townships. What if we can find skills and match designers to those skills and see how uh, we could develop products that also have a commercial viability because of the thinking, design thinking that goes along with that. And that would sort of work on many different levels. I mean, we've been very impressed by the level of entrepreneurship that we saw in the townships. And you think that people can be very entrepreneurial as long as you give maybe just one little bit more opportunity or tools or whatever. 
the world design capital is just a few short months away. I'm thinking we're, yes. we're actually not that far away from 2014 yes. at all. For you, the next step is to go back home, write up a report. <laughs> yes. And then? But, but, well, some of the, I mean, we've been talking already to people, also people who are here actively representing Dutch designers or design companies. If we could, we've already been seeing, you know, how you could actually do this. So it's it's a bit beyond writing a report, but... As long as it's not clear, I'm not going to tell you all, all about it. But there's also one thing I think is important to stress, that 2014 is a year. It doesn't all have to take place the first within January. that year. Or be, I mean, if you could sort of very have a very good start and that, you know, you, production is starting. I think there's an interest, a longer-term interest, uh, between the Dutch design community and South Africa to work together. And the 2014 year is a sort of good deadline moment. Then you can have some public moments you have to work towards. But I think uh, for such an endeavor to be worthwhile, it should have long-term effect. Anything you want to have long-term effect usually also takes a longer build-up. It's very easy to say, okay, we're going to ship a crate of beautiful Dutch design here and exhibit it. Fine. That anybody can think of it and anybody can do it. This is harder stuff to do, but if you do it right, it might have a more long-term effect. So says Christine de Barn, who uh, was here recently heading a Dutch delegation to research and consult in Cape Town in the light of its selection as the world design capital for 2014. Listen to Otherwise here on SAFM. Stay tuned. Mark Twain once said, Sing like no one's listening. Love like you've never been hurt. Dance like nobody's watching. Mark Lottery once said, Nee, man, dance like 49 million people are watching. Because they probably are. Strictly Come Dancing is back and now has a new home on SABC3. Join me and co-host Pabi Malloy on Wednesday, 10th of July from 8 till 10 p.m. to see you tango their way to victory in Season 6 of Strictly Come Dancing, South Africa. Are you a lover of the finer things in life? Do you have a passion for music, visual art, theatre, cinema, literature and good food? Then Classic Feel magazine is essential reading for you. Published monthly, Classic Feel is South Africa's number one arts, culture and lifestyle magazine. Get the latest issue of Classic Feel magazine now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Find out more at www.classicfeel.co.za SABC is inviting potential suppliers to submit proposals for the supply of two eight-ton trucks. Tender documents are obtainable from the 2nd of July 2013 between 8 and 4 upon receipt of proof of payment of a non-refundable fee of 1,000 rand made to the SABC Limited at ABSA, account number 2840011124, Branch Auckland Park, reference number SGE forward slash 08TT, forward slash 13, forward slash 05. Closing date is the 2nd of August 2013 at 12 midday. For inquiries relating to collection of documents, contact Tender Office on 011-714-4764. SABC, Radio Park, Henley Road, Auckland Park, Johannesburg. For more information, go to our SABC website, www.sabc.co.za. Otherwise, it is Talking Women. Well, next in our In the Name of Nelson Mandela series, the Little Fighters Cancer Trust was set up to relieve some of the difficulties that are faced by families dealing with childhood cancer one way or another. 
Well, it seems what's become something of a collaborative effort, Mandela Roads the Hotel, together with Fair Cake Dairies, is hosting a knit-a-thon for people to make or bring blankets for the Trust. Well, we have on the line Mandy Erasmus to tell us all about it. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent, thanks. Uh, knit-a-thon. Before we get on to that knit-a-thon, tell us a little bit about the Little Fighters Cancer Trust. What do you actually do? The Little Fighters Cancer Trust was started in 2010 um, because there was a gap that needed to be filled with support that gets to children with cancer and their families in the home, in hospital wards, and in places of safety. And since then, we have grown exponentially, unfortunately, because of cancer and children getting cancer. Um, we, at the moment, support 57 individual childhood cancer-affected families, as well as six hospital wards on a national scale. We've just received a request from a seventh hospital for support as well, and then we support two places of safety as well, which is basically where children will be referred by doctors because the home circumstances don't allow at all for um, getting better during treatment. There's no sanitary services, no water, no electricity, no money for food. So the children would be placed in places of safety so that they can have a chance at um, getting better from, from their treatment regime. Sure. Just wondering how many children there are with cancer across the country. I imagine it's quite a high figure. But when you talk about support and there having been a, a gap, what sort of support can you offer? I mean, is, it, is, it, is it emotional? Do you give them food where there isn't any food? Do you give them water where there isn't any water? What do you do? Nancy, I could keep you literally busy with for hours with just the support that we offer. Um, I will make it very short and sweet and say there's nothing that we won't support with as long as our finances and our resources allow for it. Um, the, the fact that every family and every child is treated individually through our organization because everyone has their own circumstances. My home circumstances is not the same as yours. Therefore, our needs won't be the same. If we have to start saying what we will support with and what we won't support, we're going to once again exclude people who might really need someone on their side. Yeah. So we do everything from groceries in the home to bedding to outings to um, making sure people can get the child to and from hospital. Transport is a huge problem. Um, so there's nothing that we won't assist with. Mandy, I'm going to ask you if you won't just hold the line because we're going to, to break for the news headlines just now, but I'd like to find out a little bit more about um, how people find you in the first place and what the Nishathon is all about. So do stay with us, if you will. Thank you. Mandy Erasmus, she's with the Little Fighters Cancer Trust. We're going to find out a little bit more about exactly what they do and what you can do to help in just a minute. But right now it's 1.30, headline time with Utsili. Thanks very much, Utsili. We're talking to Mandy Erasmus, who's telling us all about what the Little Fighters uh, Cancer Trust do. So, Mandy, people come to you because they've heard about you. Do you get uh, re referrals from hospitals, individuals? How does it work? We, we do get um, requests from, from parents specifically um, for assistance uh, once their child has been diagnosed or once they hear about the organization. Um, as the, the oncology parents call it, Cancerville is quite connected within the Cancerville community. So um, the, the word spreads very quickly. Um, we also get requests for assistance from the social workers at hospital wards, from religious leaders in the communities, from school teachers and headmasters. So 
So it's really very varied who will actually approach us. And we don't have any forms that you need to complete. All that we need to be able to do is confirm with your treating doctor that your child has cancer, and that will then enable us to, to take the support system further. I'm going to give out your website in just a minute, but I would imagine one of the things people know is what do I do now? Um, you know, information, unless it happens to you, you don't necessarily, you know, inform yourself about what to do, especially with children. Is there quite a lot of info on, the, on your site? If you go to www.littlefighters.org.za, there is a area specifically for childhood cancers. And under the childhood cancers, there's 12 major types of childhood cancer. They all represented together by the gold ribbon, pretty much the same as breast cancer would be represented by the pink ribbon. And um, we, on the website, do have the, the signs and symptoms of each particular childhood cancer, what treatment options you can expect, what the side effects could be. Um, so there is quite a bit of information. Mm-hmm. And also September is International Childhood Cancer Awareness month so we will be once again publishing um, written articles on every childhood cancer um, there is some online magazines that have come on board that will be, be sharing with us and that will, will try and get South Africa a little bit more aware mm. because South Africa is not aware of childhood cancer at all um, it's the, the disease responsible for more child deaths than HIV, AIDS, malaria and tuberculosis combined also there's only about a third of the actual amount of childhood or children with cancer is is diagnosed every year simply because of misdiagnosis and late diagnosis because people are not aware of the early warning signs of childhood cancer and also the medical profession is is not uh, attempt on that Um, and that's been said not by me but by Professor Christine Stefan who is the chairperson of the South African Tumor Registry. We work very closely together with her and actually have created our gold event in Cape Town every year to create a platform for her to be able to publicly make known the latest childhood cancer statistics. But in essence, there, there is probably around about two and a half to three and a half thousand children with cancer every year, but only a third is diagnosed. You, that's a, well, all of the above is, is enough to a bit of a wake-up call in itself, so if you're concerned at all, why don't you check the site, which is littlefighters.org.za, littlefighters.org.za. But fighting to help you guys do what you do, I think you're putting together this initiathon, which is happening yes. at Mandela Roads, the hotel here in Cape Town, together with Fair Cape Diaries, um, and, sorry, dairies, and people are invited to go along and sit in a nice, warm, cosy foyer and simply knit. Yes, this is, this is something really quite special that Three Cities, Mandela Roads, Place Hotel and Spa and Fair Cape Dairies and um, Hippo Communications are doing for us. Um, they've taken a load off our shoulders. We simply don't have to do anything. They're doing all the hard work, all the groundwork. Um, they're inviting the whole community, corporate and public, to come on the day either with finished blankets or finished knitted and crocheted squares. Um, people can bring fabric, for example. Swin Mill has donated hundreds of meters of fabric. And then they'll have a group of ladies from Kalicha that will be sewing all the fabric and all the knitted and crocheted squares into blankets and quilts. 
and those we will then distribute to hospital wards, to the places of safety and to, to the children in, in private homes. Oh, it's going to be quite a hive of activities. You don't actually have to, if you're not up for too much for knitting, you don't actually have to bring along the knitting needles and do it, but you can if you want to and the wool will be there. Otherwise you can bring along finished blankets and all the other goods and bits and pieces. Gosh, my dear, it sounds Absolutely. like it's going to be... And a, we're also oh. asking people to bring along their sewing machines because we've now gotten so much fabric that we, we really need people to come sit and sew together blocks of fabric on the day as well. So if people can bring their sewing machines, there will be tables, there will be electricity points, and you can come and sew away, knit away, crochet away, and we will most definitely make very good use of the, each donation. Well, there you go. Handy men and women right here in Cape Town. You know what to do, and uh, you know on which day to do it. It's uh, 67 minutes for Mandela Day on the 18th. You can get yourself along to Mandela Roads between 11 and 4, I think it is, and it's a very, it's a nice, warm, cosy place and a very pretty place too. Mandy, very best of luck and may it all come together. Thank, thank you. Thank you so very much Take and time. thank you for the support, Nancy. Always a pleasure. www.littlefighters.org.za and don't forget, if you're doing something that you think Nelson Mandela, former President Nelson Mandela, would be proud of, let us know, otherwise at safm.co.za. Introducing more savings from Specsavers. Now you can get between 250 and 1,000 Rand off the normal industry price for your prescription lenses. That's right, up to 1,000 Rand off your prescription lenses. Another reason why we are South Africa's leading eye care group. Change to Specsavers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. T's and C's apply. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Are you a manufacturer or an exporter of food and beverage or clean energy products? If yes, the Department of Trade and Industry invites you to participate in international exhibitions taking place in the United Arab Emirates, Japan and Germany between the 15th of January and 8th of March 2014. For more information, visit the dti.gov.za or call 0861-843-384. The DTI, empowering industries and broadening economic participation. Otherwise, it is Talking Women here on SAFM. We'll never let it be said that women are not anything other than multi-skilled. Because we're moving next from knitting to a sky-high space for women with the SKA, the Square Kilometre Array. And the team, and well, on the team, there's a, it seems a very large female presence undertaking a huge variety of roles. Amongst them, Sam Kelisiwe Charity Zondi, who is an electronic radio frequency technician, and also Cecilia Huck, who is an infrastructure engineer. Well, we've got them both on the line, but I'm going to start with you, Sam Kelisiwe. How are you? I'm okay. You know, oh, you're very faint. Can you talk a little louder? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's a whole okay. lot better. So you're an electronic radio frequency technician. Where are you based? Are you actually there where the SKA is being built? Where, where, where are you? I'm currently based in uh, Krugersdorp, which is in, in Gauteng, currently. But I've been to the to the site many times and I've done work there. Okay. Did you? How did you get involved in this? You're an, an electronic radio frequency technician. Is that what you started out as? Yes. Um, it, it started when I was doing my my experiential training, 
which uh, is done in your final year of study. And then I did my in-service training with the SKA. And then they offered me uh, a bursary to do my BTEC. That's when they actually employed me after my, I completed my BTEC. Okay. Your line is a little bit faint, Sam Kilisi, because it's coming and going, so just talk, talk as loudly as you possibly can. So what is your role right now? What do you do on a daily basis? Um, I do a whole lot of things. I ensure reliability of equipment and services. I perform weekly maintenance. I identify problems to be investigated. And I work outside my normal daily activities, actually. So, and I also it, it entails more than just focusing on your field of study. It needs a person with an open mind and willingness to learn new things because it's a very broad industry that you're working in. Yes, and I would imagine that you're kind of having to work towards the same goal, but in your little, uh, using that word that we all use so often, in your silos, because you've got to concentrate quite specifically on your bit, but at the same time knowing what everybody else is doing. When you did your, your training, your internship with them, did they give you the whole big picture so that you know the whole big, uh, big scenario? Um, you get some basic scenarios. Because experiential training, you've got like guidelines that guide you to what, what you have to be trained in. So it's not like a specific uh, uh, thing that you have to do or they know that they're going to employ you. So it's just training. And then after after the training, uh, you go to do your BTEC. And then after you've been employed, it's then that uh, they tell you what is going on and what you're going to be doing. Okay. You, I think that one of the one of the areas in which you've been working is the exper- experimental model, which is the CAT seven, um, which we we've heard quite a lot about. Have there what you, you know? You say that maintenance and problems. So it sounds like you're a bit of a troubleshooter. What problems maintenance were there with CAT seven? Mm, it's it's an experiential model, so all the things that mm, are done to the experiential model won't work the first time. So you have to ensure that uh, you troubleshoot everything, and by the time the by the time the cat seven started, it had to be perfect, so that seven dishes were installed in the Karoo and they were working to to what the requirements were by the SKA. So cat seven was just a prototype. There are going to be many more of that. How long is your um, your period of time going to be with the SKA? Will you be there? right until it's finished? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I've been employed permanently recently. So uh, I'm going to be there for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very big project. And the things that uh, happen there, it's, it's, it's quite big because radio astronomy actually focuses on how stars and galaxies were formed and how everything has evolved over time and perhaps detect life elsewhere in the universe. So... Maybe in, next, in the next 10 years' time, we'll find that there are aliens on Mars. So that would be quite an exciting thing to be part of. Yes, and I'm just wondering what this is going to equip you for. I mean, as you say, you, you could be working with anything after this. I mean, this is going to equip you to work all over the world in, I don't know how many similar projects there are going to be, but, I mean, are you looking that far ahead? There's an AVN project that we are working with, which is going to be built in South Africa, Australia, and there's going to be also some partner countries 
like Botswana, Ghana, Kenya, and uh, a lot of other South African countries that uh, where the, the telescopes are going to be built. So it's going to be it's actually it's just a starting of 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 this uh, radio astronomy mm. thing in South Africa. Mm. Sky's the limit, eh? Some kind of see we're going to let you go. I'm not sure if it's a radio frequency that's interfering with the line, but we, we, we're losing you ever so slightly. But very best of luck. Thanks a lot. Good luck, eh? Thank you very much. Cheers. Well, also working there, Celia Hark is an infrastructure engineer. When I say she's working there, I'm not sure exactly where she's working, but she's also with SKA. And we've got her on the line. Hi, Cecilia. Hi. Ah, excellent. How are you? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, yes. I, I'm hoping that your line will be a little bit better. So you're an infrastructure engineer. Where are you working? Um, I'm actually based in our Johannesburg office in Rosebank, um, but I travel re- frequently down to the Karoo to check up on infrastructure progress there. Okay. When, when we say that you're an infrastructure engineer, just explain exactly what you do. Um, okay, it's actually quite broad, but um, basically at this point in time, um, it's a lot of project management. Um, so we've gone into the construction phase of building um, Meerkat. So we've got, as you probably know, we've got the seven cats, seven dishes, yeah. but now we're building another 64. So it's project management of the construction to build the another 64 dishes. I'm imagining that each and every person on the team, and whether are men or women, need to know, as I, as I was saying to Sam Kelisile, uh, uh, sorry, Sam Kelisile, what you would have, everybody needs to kind of know everything. You can't just work on your own little bit. Uh, you, do you feel that you're sort of uh, got a grip on the whole project? Um, no. <laughs> mm. um, I actually just am familiar with the infrastructure side of things. Um, you're perfectly right. It's quite a broad project, so the scope is very wide. And um, you know, I actually have the stuff that Kalisiwe is doing. It, you know, it's it's stuff that I actually am not skilled in at all. I have no idea. It's completely Greek to me. So you're right. It's um, it's a very broad project with a lot of different areas of expertise required. So what skills did you come with? What uh, training did you have? Do you have? Um, I trained as a mechanical engineer, and then following my graduation, I worked for a while as an engineer on a, another project. Um, but then when funding ran out for that project, I joined the SKA, and yeah, I've been there ever since. Were you in line with a whole lot of people? I mean, how competitive? I'm sure there are a lot of people who wanted to work there. Were you in, you know, in, in a long queue of people? No, I think I actually um, was very lucky. Um, when I applied to join the project, it was still um, actually not very well known. Um, we were just about, South Africa was just about to prepare to formally um, submit its proposal to host the international um, SKA. And at that time, the team who was compiling the proposal we're looking for someone with a, a technical background and a practical, some practical experience to assist with compiling the bid. Um, so when I applied, I don't think there were many people who knew exactly what the telescope project is about. Nor, um, yeah, it's, so I, I think I was very lucky in that when I applied, it wasn't quite. It was the start of, um, you know, the activities. How big is the SKA team? I, I imagine you like to be one great big family. Yeah, um, 
In total, I think we're about 100 to 120. Um, we have a very big office in Cape Town where most of our electronic engineers are busy designing the actual digital feeds for the telescopes. Um, and then we've got a smaller office in Johannesburg where we mostly do the infrastructure required for the telescopes. And then obviously in the Karoo, in our offices in Carnarvon, we have our site support team. But in total, um, we're about 100, roughly, maybe a little bit more. I know it's a very long, very long-term project. Are, are things on track? Oh, yeah, no, things are definitely on track. Um, you're right, it is a very, very, very long-term project. But with um, the Mirkat telescope, we committed to deliver the telescope by the end of 2016, and we're well on track to deliver as planned. What, if anything, have, well, I'm sure you've learned a huge amount, but what for you so far has been the sort of the wow moment? Oh, <laughs> um, a definite wow moment was that day when the then Minister of Science and Technology, um, Naledi Pando, announced that South Africa had gotten 70% or at least the lion's share of the SKA telescope. Um, I will never forget that day. We were, our, I think the whole office was a ball of stress waiting to hear whether we had gotten it or not. And when that announcement came, it was, it was amazing. It was definitely one of the highlights. Sort of akin to getting the 2010 World Cup, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Cecilia, lovely. Thank you very much. Congratulations and enjoy the rest of uh, enjoy the rest of it all until it's completed. Thank you. Take Thank care. Thank you. Cecilia Hark and uh, she, together with some Kalisiwe Zondi, uh, but a very big female presence on that SKA team. And talking of female presences, you've been listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. And next up, it's time for Shop Shop, the children's program.